All right, good morning. I invite you to take a seat if you're here joining us in East. If you're joining us in West this morning, good morning. We're so glad to have you here. Thanks for being here and being part of Christ Church. And for all of you, of course, joining us online this morning. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Christ Church, everybody. Good to be in worship with you all. Welcome to Christ Church, a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I'm Pastor Andrew, and I'm thrilled that you're here now. Joining us here on site or joining us online this morning, it's good to be Christ Church today. Thanks for being here, everybody. Well, we are in week two of a new sermon series. Pastor Bob kicked it off last week. The sermon series is called Transformed, Transformed. And what we're doing is we're asking the question of what do we hope or what do we wish would be transformed, changed in our lives? For so many of us, there are areas of our lives that we wish could change, that could be transformed, could be renewed in some ways, whether it's our finances or our marriage or parenting or our work environment. For many of us, we have a desire to see transformation within ourselves, within our families, within our communities, and within the wider world. And so we're taking the time to ask the question, how does transformation, how does that change actually come about? To ground us in our study, we're using Romans chapter 12 to guide us along. Romans is one of the letters of the New Testament, so it's in the latter part of the Bible. It's written by a guy named Pastor Paul. And Romans chapter 12 has one specific verse that's kind of been going to be our guiding verse as we go through the series. It says this in Romans 12 uh, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so last week we saw how uh, Pastor Bob began to talk to us and teach us and help us see, understand that when we begin to embrace the change and embrace the transformation, we discover a healthy new life, a pleasing, perfect, better way of living. That when we embrace the change, when we pursue that change, we can be experiencing life as it was really meant to be lived. And now in the coming weeks, we're going to spend some more time looking at how we can change the way we think. Pastor Bob's going to take us through a variety of topics on how we approach things from a Christian perspective. For those of us who ascribe to the Christian faith, as we examine certain topics of money or marriage or work environments, whatever it might be, we can approach those environments with a new mentality and a freshness as we begin to change the way we think, we'll see transformation begin to take place. This morning, however is of special import. This morning is rather unique in the series because once we know and understand what could be the life that God has out there, and we begin to examine more clearly the details of that life, it has to come anchored, tethered to our Christian faith. Or more specifically, the change that we as Christians aspire to hope for and long for is a change that is guided by our God. We are not simply a self-help kind of place. If you want self-help books, those are great. They are wonderful. You can head to Barnes and Nobles and walk down the self-help aisle. Those have their right and good place. Don't mishear me. You have your right and good place in the process of this transformation. But we must be careful about overemphasizing 
our role in our own transformation and change. Sometimes we can fall into the temptation of relying so heavily on ourselves to affect change in our lives. We feel alone and that we feel like we have to do it all on our own power and our own ability. This is different than what the Christian faith would offer us. The Christian life anchors and tethers their change and transformation to their God. And it's actually listed for you in that text that we just read. Look again. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. That is to say that God is the one who is going to begin working in you to actually bring that change about. You participate. You have a critical role to play. Let me be clear. But for the Christian person to live into the Christian life that God would have for us stems from the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, stems from God's activity and person loose in our lives. You see, if you want to experience change and transformation, the scriptures would encourage you, would invite you to draw close to the agent of that change. And it is more than just you. Rather, the agent and the catalyst from a Christian perspective is your God. God is the one who works the change. Therefore, therefore, if you wish to and aspire to change, it is a matter of drawing close to that agent or catalyst of change. The Bible would talk about this in a variety of areas. One specific verse that helps to capture this sense of closeness and proximity is James chapter 4. It says, look, come close to God and God will draw close, will come close to you. That is to say that you and God, as you draw close in proximity, close in relationship, as was intended, that is where you will begin to see and experience the change, the transformation of the Christian life. The two coming together, you and your God. Now, I can be transparent with you in saying that proximity, drawing close to an all-powerful, almighty, perfect, holy God, is going to be a powerful thing in your life. This is, this is the disclaimer, the upfront, that should you choose to embrace the opportunity should you choose to pursue God and desire drawing close to him, even as he is pursuing you, even as he desires to draw close to you, if you actually experience the coming together, there is a powerful effect that will happen in your life. Change will happen in your life. When you come under the influence and are in proximity to an all-powerful and almighty God. This principle is actually something that you already know. Parents know this better than anybody. Uh, the proximity itself 
is powerful in people's lives. The people that you surround yourself with, the environments that you spend your time in, the environments, the people and situations that you are in proximity to will intrinsically rub off on you. There is a gravitational pull of influence that will seep its way into your person and begin to change you, shape you, and inform your thinking, your processing, your values, etc. This is why parents are especially careful when it comes to our children, are we not? We're careful about the environments that they spend their time and the friends they begin to make. Why? Well, because proximity is powerful. How much more powerful when your proximity is to that of an almighty God? Make no mistake. As you draw close to God, you will undergo his influence, his work, you will begin to change and transform as you draw close to the agent of change. Now, for as much as I can put powerful in this line, there are a couple other words that come to mind. Most notably, there is a second word that comes to my personal mind, very quick, following powerful, that may surprise you. But if I'm totally transparent and vulnerable, it is a word that comes just as quickly to my personal mind as does powerful. And that is to say, proximity to God is scary, intimidating, isn't it? I mean, maybe it's just me, but the idea of drawing close to an all-powerful, amazing, incredible, wondrous, perfect, holy creator of the universe, God, the idea of drawing close to the supernatural, that's kind of intimidating, scary. What's going to happen? How's it going to work? What change will I see in my life? As I draw close to something bigger, greater, more powerful than me, it can be intimidating, even scary, to think about being in proximity of God. Yesterday, my family went to the zoo. Yes, we were that family that went to the zoo in the rain. We did the whole scuttle from one little house to the next little house at the zoo. You guys know what I'm talking about? You go from the reptile house to the bird house. But my favorite house is the big cat house. That house is awesome. Those lions, those cheetahs, they got it going on. They just lounge about every day. Do you ever see them active? I never do. They're always sunning on some rock. I mean, when I grow up, I want to be a cheetah just lying on a rock. Hey, what's up? It's so casual, except for every so often you see one of them actually move, and then it's like a moment of excitement, right? Well, we actually went and saw a little bit of excitement, and it certainly excited my five-year-old daughter. We went up to the tiger area, and my five-year-old daughter rushed up to the glass and is very excited and is peering around looking for the tiger. Now, as an adult, I was driving the stroller in the back, and I saw the tiger from the get-go. The tiger was up and active and moving. He was pacing back and forth. Have you seen a tiger before? They're huge, massive. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling nervous. There's this only this thin pane of glass, and I see the size, the bulk the rippling muscles on this big cat. This is not a little kitty cat. This is a tiger. 
Holy cats, it's ginormous. And as my five-year-old daughter is looking for this big cat, she looks to the side and there is the tiger walking the glass closer to her. And if it's possible for a tiger to smile and show its teeth, it did. It smiled at the five-year-old. You know why? Because it was thinking snack time. That's why. Now, it was obvious to me that this big cat was thinking snack time. And apparently, this is something that doesn't take much to understand, as my five-year-old daughter also understood this immediately. She shrieked, stepped away from the glass, and hid behind mom, appropriately so. Because she knew. She knew what it was like, all of a sudden, to be in proximity to something bigger, more powerful, something majestic and awe-inspiring. It can be a little intimidating, a little scary even, to be in proximity of something greater than yourself. One of my favorite books out there is a, a children's book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Any of you know The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Go ahead, raise your hands. Yep. West, I hope you're raising your hands too. You guys know that one online. Perhaps you guys know it as well. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a great, great book. It's written by a gentleman named C.S. Lewis. It was made into a movie as well. And in this book, uh, C.S. Lewis was a prolific writer in England and a staunch Christian who really had a wonderful way of using word pictures to create uh, impressive and powerful themes. And in this particular book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there is a character who is a lion, a big, majestic lion. And he is representative as a messianic figure. He is the representative of Jesus in the book. He, as, as Aslan, is, is rescuing and saving and resurrecting and all of these things. And it's a marvelous book. If you don't know it, please do read it. But there's a point in the book where a little girl, probably akin to my five-year-old, is about to meet Aslan, about to meet the big, majestic lion. And, and she says, well, is he a tame lion is he safe to be around? And the answer comes back to her with a laugh and a chortle and pretty quick at that, of course not. Is he safe? He's a lion. But he is good. Is he safe? No. But he is good. So also with your God. He is powerful and mighty and holy and perfect and awe-inspiring. But perhaps most importantly of all, he is good. And he has revealed that goodness in the person of Jesus Christ. He is concerned through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus about bringing good into your life and working good for you. Your God, even as awe-inspiring as he is, labors for your good. 
because he himself is good and right and true. Now, being in proximity of this good, right, and true God will affect change in your life. And it will change you for the better, for good. We see this in numerous places throughout the scriptures. I could go to loads of places. Here are a couple quick ones for you. One of the people that spends time in proximity to God is a guy named Moses. Moses is most famous, perhaps, for bringing the Ten Commandments down the mountain, Mount Sinai. Moses gives 613 laws to the Jewish people. It it actually establishes and frames up the entire Jewish faith. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and he actually camps in proximity to God. He spends extended time near God physically in a revelatory way with the presence of the living God. And that changes Moses in tangible ways even, begins to transform him. The goodness, the goodness and the holiness of God actually rubs off on Moses, so much so that when he comes down the mountain, he's shining. He's like a light-up stick. He's a glow stick. The Bible says that he is bright and shining with the glory and the radiance of God, so much so that he actually has to put a veil. He has to wear a funny hat and a veil because when you spend time with God, when God rubs off on you, when God begins to affect change in your life and in your person, other people can see it. Other people notice. Other people are affected by it. And in the case of Moses, he had to bring out a veil to help temper the holy that people were experiencing from him simply because he had spent time in close proximity with the living God. When you're close to God, you can expect change to happen in your life and even for other people to see that change and take note of that change. Now, this occurs not only in the Old Testament, but resplendent examples exist in the New Testament as well. Take, for example, the 12 disciples. We can talk about loads of different disciples. Here are just the 12 who spent time in close proximity with Jesus, right? They walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They were in proximity of Jesus' teachings and the healings and when Jesus would cast out demons. These 12 disciples undergo some radical change and some radical transformation as they spend time in proximity and close to Jesus. Simple examples would be vocation, what they actually do. Their careers changed. They went from being tax collectors or a zealot, like a professional who was training people to overthrow Rome, an army guy, or, or fishermen, blue-collar, working the nets and big calluses on their hands, right? They went from being these professions to something different, As they spent time with Jesus, Jesus began to empower them and release them and call them to something new and different. They became teachers and preachers and evangelists and world travelers and church planters and pastors. The 12 disciples underwent a transformation that impacted quite literally the entire world. Jesus would even change family dynamics with the 12 disciples. There's an example for you in the Gospel of John. One of the Gospels, we have four Gospels for you. One of them, the Gospel of John, describes how Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. And he looks down at his disciples and he sees his mom, Mary, and he sees one of the disciples, John. And he says, Mary, this is your new son, John. John, this is your new mom. And in doing so, he changes and redefines family. 
in relation to each other. He expands and broadens the perspective of what family means and what family is. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, this is why we refer to each other as brothers and sisters. God begins to redefine for us and change for us and transform for us our understanding of what a family actually is and what a family actually means. This comes from being in close proximity to Jesus, to God, to the presence of your Christian God. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, and I know there are other stories of those sitting beside you, brothers and sisters, who will say that this change, this transformation, it is good. It is worth it. That the disciples experienced, at the very least, a change and a transformation in their sense of purpose and who they were, their understanding of the world, and their understanding of God. By spending time with God, they began to see and know themselves and their God in a new, different way. They began to experience the kingdom of God. And they determined it was so good, it was worth dying for, as many of them were martyred later on in their lives. Jesus himself would allude to the goodness of these changes, saying they are worth it. They are worth finding and exploring. The kingdom of God is worth embracing. These changes are worth it. He tells us in a variety of ways, two quick ways in which he does that. One is through the parable of the pearl or the great treasure. Jesus tells the story of a guy who's out plowing the field. And as he's plowing the field, he does not own the field, but he is working the field as a laborer. And he stumbles across a treasure of great worth, a pearl of great worth and great value. And what he does is he goes and he sells all of his belongings. He gives up his old way of life, everything that he used to hold on to. There's a change as he now becomes the owner. He purchases the field giving up everything he used to have so that he could have the field and thereby the treasure, the pearl that comes with the field. He's willing to give up the old so as to embrace the new and experience the change. It's worth it because it is good. Or, for example, the prodigal son. Some of you might be familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. It's common even outside of the church context. The idea here is that a young man goes to his dad says, Dad, I want to pretend that you're dead. I want my inheritance early. Thank you very much. Dad says, okay. The kid runs off and he chooses to live life according to his values, his principles, and his determinations. Unfortunately, it doesn't go very well for him. In fact, he squanders all of his inheritance and he bottoms out. Life stinks. And he has to undergo a change of attitude and transformation. He has to let go of his values and how he thought life was best lived. And instead, in humility, realizes how much he misses being close to the Father. And so he says, I'll go back home and perhaps if I'm lucky, I'll be a servant in my father's house. And yet while he's still a long way off, the father sees him as he's returning home, runs out to him and says, you've come home, my son. I'm thrilled. I'm happy. I missed you. Welcome home. Kill the fatted calf. Start the celebrations. And he goes through a transformation of, of bottoming out and at his lowest point, at his greatest, most broken point, to a place of being reinstated. Once more, a son, a child of the father in the house, experiencing the benefits and the goodness 
of the closeness of the Father. Now, make note, he does not become perfect. He doesn't have it all together when he decides to go home. Quite the opposite. He's at his lowest point when he begins the change. He actually approaches God not having life together, but approaches God, the Father, with life messy and broken. And that's because the change and the transformation comes not from the Son, but from the Father coming to the Son and reestablishing the Son and commissioning the Son once more in the house. It comes from the love and the grace and the forgiveness of the Father being placed upon the child. So also with you. You do not, be, you do not need to be perfect or have life together to draw close to God. It's actually quite the opposite. As you draw close to God, and as God, perfect as he is, draws close to you, his perfection and his forgiveness and his grace will begin to rub off on you and change you, transform you. Now, this does mean that there is sacrifice involved. Make note, all of these lives that were lived were lives of great sacrifice. And in fact, we find it in Romans itself. The Christian life is a life called to sacrifice. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. It's time to give up that stuff, get rid of that stuff. The old is gone. There's something better and greater that we now pursue as we draw closer to God. And so sacrifice is intrinsically part of Christian transformation. The cross, the cross is intrinsic, part of, must be present in a Christian's transformation. But when that happens, after the cross, there is a newness to life, there is a resurrection that takes place. You see, as you draw close to God, what will happen is you will experience cross, you will experience pain, you will experience suffering. But you will undergo a transformation that will allow you to look more and more like Jesus. Because God's perfection and character will rub off on you. You'll begin to change to look more like him. 2 Corinthians actually says this overtly. All of us with unveiled faces, that's an allusion to Moses, Seeing the glory of Jesus as though reflected in a mirror. That is to say that you will stand in front of the mirror and you begin to see the character of Jesus Christ more fully present in your person as God transforms you and changes you. You are being transformed into the same image of his son from one degree of glory to another. So, Proximity to God is indeed powerful. It may be somewhat intimidated or even scary, but I can tell you it is good and it is worth it because as you step into proximity with God, God will begin to bring Jesus. He will begin to bring his perfection and his holiness to bear in your life and through your life. As you draw close to God, you will begin to look more and more like his child as he pours out his love and his forgiveness and his grace in your life.
So I can tell you it is worth it. It is so good. My exhortation and my prayer for you is to draw close to God and let him change you to look more like Jesus Christ. I want to pause and speak briefly to those of you who are worshiping in West, particularly if you are enjoying First Communion and celebrating First Communion for the first time this morning. First off, congratulations. We are so proud of you as a church body. We welcome you to the table. There are few places more powerful than coming to God's table where we genuinely draw close to him. We come forward with our imperfections, and yet he meets us and draws close to us with his grace and his forgiveness through those simple gifts. He will do that for for your life, for the entirety of your life, transforming you and changing you to look more and more like Jesus. This is our prayer and our hope for you, and we welcome you to the table. We are excited for you this morning. That said, please join me in prayer as we do indeed prepare ourselves to come to God's table and draw close to him. Please pray with me. Almighty and most merciful God, we come before you as we are this morning. We seek to draw close to you, perfect, holy, awesome, and mighty as you are. We come before you not because of who we are, not standing before you because of anything we have accomplished or done, but on the basis of who you are, your goodness revealed in the person of Jesus Christ based on your love for us, found and known in Jesus. Humbly, we draw close to you, seeking and asking that you would draw close and make yourself known to us, change us, transform us, renew us. We seek to be your children, Father, and so we ask and pray that through the power and the work of your Holy Spirit that you would work in us, your people, and you would work through us to transform and change our homes, our families, our work environments, our communities, and this entire world. Humbly, we ask and we pray that you would, by the power, by the work, and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, allow us to become more and more like Jesus, loving and serving our neighbors, caring for those who are hurting and broken, extending grace and love and goodness in this world. Almighty and most merciful God, thank you for the privilege of drawing close to you this day. Grant us hearts. Grant us eyes and spirits to receive you even as you draw close to us. This we ask and humbly pray, Jesus, in your holy and in your precious name.